This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. Today, our guest on Food First Michigan is the leader of the Michigan Education Association, Paula Herbart. She has served as the leader of MEA since September of 2017. She is a part of the leadership coalition that has formed itself into a group called Launch Michigan. You can find them at launchmichigan.org. Their objective is to create such a compelling plan and path forward for Michigan education that it would transcend any leadership change at the highest levels of state government. Small dreams inspire no one, and this one certainly isn't small. There is no secret our educational system has struggled here in Michigan for some time. Jerry and I have charted the correlation between health, hunger, and education, educational achievement where we rank 34th in obesity and 35th on the reading level. These merging realities of the lack of access to healthy food and, for example, third-grade reading level by third-grade is well-documented. I look forward to our conversation with Paula Herbart to better understand Launch Michigan and to discover if food security for their students is a part of the plan. Welcome back, everyone. As promised, Paula Herbart, the president for the Michigan Education Association and our guest here on Food First Michigan. And Paula, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have a conversation. Well, as you know, uh, Food First Michigan is a show from uh, about uh, the food bank work of the food banks across the state, and we address food security or food insecurity across the state. And uh, we're vitally, uh, intricately involved with the school systems across the state. And, uh, of course, you are, I have, I'm married to an educator of 30 years here in the state. I have a daughter who's a teacher as well. So um, I think, I just feel like we're cousins or something. That's right. (laughs) We are all one big happy family. I'm glad to hear that you have uh, supported your daughter in her quest to be an educator and that your wife continues to work in education. You know, unfortunately, we're seeing a decline in having people like you who have family that support those individuals who continue to do the good work of public education is incredible. So thank you. That's well, my pleasure. I, in fact, I think Leah is a fifth generation teacher in our family. I love that. You know, I am from a family of teachers. Both my father and mother were public school educators. I have a couple of aunts, several cousins. My sister teaches in Romulus Public Schools, and my brother works for Napoleon Schools. So. Wow, that's great. So, look, let's dive into this topic about Michigan Launch. Uh, just this week, there was a new announcement about... Uh, I atten- let, me, let me back up. I attended the initial launch of Michigan Launch uh, some a year or so ago, 
And yep, June 19, uh, uh, 2018. Yeah, and that was a great event. And uh, we've had Rob Fowler from the Small Business Association here on the show a couple of times, and he's always been careful to mention Michigan Launch. And um, we've talked to Rob on several occasions to say we want to make sure that um, – that at the right time, we could have a discussion with someone in leadership about the role of food security and how that, uh, that affects educational outcomes, behavior, attendance, all of that, because we want to be a contributor and add value. And it looks like we're going to have that opportunity this morning to talk with you. Yes, I'm excited about it. You know, we have many, many children who come to school without... Um, having been fed breakfast. They receive free breakfast and free lunch. Um, One of the things that I'm excited about is the governor's um, move and the country's move to stop the uh, food insecure children from feeling embarrassed or ashamed Hmm. of their need for food from a public school, from their school. Well, it's also one of the things we find in this work, just across the board, people don't ask for help soon enough. And a huge uh, I, part of that reason is shame. They're just ashamed. That, so 100% agree. Yeah, so to add to that problem by embarrassing kids who it's not even their fault, they walk up to their lunch line and it's not their fault what money's in the account, right? That's exactly right. So, And you know, even children that have money, for instance, my son had an account, when he was in um, middle school, sometimes we wouldn't fill the account. You know, people are busy, and they always gave him grace, and I'm hopeful that people, um, our sisters and brothers who work in food service, think about what they do when they're talking to children. Mm. You know, these are children. Right. And as you say, it's not their fault that there's no money in the account, and everyone deserves to be feel. Um, full and have a meal in their stomach to continue to do the good work that they need to do to prepare them for what comes next in their life. So I want to connect this to what I think is one of the reasons this happens, and that is the, I'm going to call it the broken funding system for public education. So in I many, think that that's an accuracy. <laughs> well, so yeah. in many cases, the food program is actually a revenue stream for the school. It is a profit center. It's not thought of as a, you know, a service to the students so that they can have good educational outcomes. When they sit down and do the budgets, they say, how much money can we expect from the food program this year? And part of the reason is because of the that there just isn't enough funding to do everything that needs to be done for these kids. And so when that system starts to cost money, people get hinky about it. Yes, that's actually correct. Um, One of the ways that school districts, in an effort to um, move money around, they um, hide that revenue from food service Mm -hmm. um, so that they can get other monies. Um, One of the things we should be talking about is in the system, for sure, when we talk about the funding that students receive from the state, included in that should be what they're meal programs are. It shouldn't Mm -hmm. be separate. We should include that as something that is actually um, a necessity for those students who are going to classes 
they need to be fed. Um, our students who come in hungry do um, poor on tests. They're more fidgety. Their mm-hmm. attention span has lowered. And we know that when students are fed and feel um, unencumbered by the worry of food security, that they do better in school. I like that. We think that uh, if you're hungry, Paula, that you only have one problem. And until you solve that problem, what am I going to eat? What am I going to give my kids? Then your mind's held captive by the toxic stress of food insecurity. And that's exactly what you just described. She's Paula. That's exactly right. She's Paula Herbart. She is the president for the MEA. She's our guest on Food First Michigan today. I want you to stay with us, Paula, and I want everyone who's listening to come back because we're going to have her back for a second segment in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here, Jerry Brisson in the WJR studio. Our guest, Paula Herbart, the president for the MEA, and one of the, the, the leaders of Launch Michigan. And I want us to talk a little bit about that, that core idea, Paula. But first, I want you and Jerry to finish your conversation about the, the broken funding model that we have here that's really, it's got to be addressed. And there was an announcement yesterday. And I do have to give a little bit of credit to Dr. Vitti here locally, who I heard speak about this very eloquently on how um, the disparate ways that schools experience funding for their students. Um, So I'm not going to try to repeat what he said, but I will give him credit for really articulating clearly. It was at an event that um, uh, Rick DeVore from PNC held. Mm -hmm. Very powerful uh, information. And so when that that leads to this proposal that you just put out that's really seeking to correct that. And, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about that proposal and the necessity for changing the way the funding works? Well, one of the things that Launch Michigan proposes isn't a novel idea. It's that that fair isn't equal, that all students have different needs. As my friend Tanya Allen from the Skillman Foundation so eloquently said, those of us who have children, multiple children, understand that each one of our children in our families have something different that they need from their parents. Similarly, in education, each one of the children going to school needs something different. Maybe they need more supports. Maybe one child doesn't need support in a very specific area like reading, but another child needs an aide and an expert and a reading specialist, and that costs money. Mm -hmm. And so what we have to do is look at that child who needs more and say, are they receiving the right amount of funds to educate that child Mm. adequately? Are we doing a good enough job in making sure that that child who needs more gets exactly the kind of funding that will help that child succeed? Mm. Because child A and child B are very different. In Proposal A that was um, put into effect about 25 years ago, we wanted everything to be equal. You know, we we got rid of the school, felt like um, communities weren't able to um, use their property taxes to uh, exa- 
exaggerate the funding that came from the state. They could have multiple funding sources. And so Prop A was to eliminate that and say every child should get $6,500 um, mm-hmm. as they go to stu- school. And then those child, and then we'll keep up with inflation and we'll keep up with the um, cost of living. And that actually never happened. Mm-hmm. We did start out with the equal funding. Then we allowed certain schools to go for a one-time enhancement millage. So already we've changed that uh, model to allow for extra funding, depending on whether the community had extra funding or not. So that was right away from the get-go. We changed the equal part. And then we went on to discover that um, we also needed to make sure that that we kept up with inflation, which never really happened here in Michigan. So unfortunately, the equal piece didn't happen right away. And we know that children sometimes need more than other children. I often say, as someone who's only five feet tall, that I need a taller box to see over the fence than my friend who's six feet tall. That's equality. That's what we need. We need to make sure that every student has every building block that they need to be successful. And funding is one of those ways in which we can do that. I think that's a great analogy. I love the box over the fence there because I can relate to that myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, you you don't have any six footers in the room today, <laughs> right? We're all no. on the same box you're on, <laughs> right? I'll happily share. Well, we appreciate it. So, Paula, we can find you. It looks like at launchmichigan.org. Is that correct? That is correct. And Launch Michigan is really focused on adequacy and equity for students. Do we have adequate funding? Do we have the kind of equitable funding that a child needs to ensure? And it's from urban to rural to suburban. All of these school systems have children of need, have food insecure children, have students that um, need a boost in their processes because maybe they don't have supports at home. Maybe they're not only food insecure, they're also home insecure. And so when you're, as you said, Phil, when you're not meeting your fundamental needs, your foundational needs as a human being, there is no way we have a chance of getting that child to think about what it means to read beyond their grade level or do math at a higher skill level. They're worried about their day-to-day concerns of food, health, and safety, and we need to address that, and funding can do that for those children. Well, I love what you're saying right there, and it sounds like we've been reading each other's email because um, <laughs> that that's exactly – Jerry and his team have put together a partnership, a collaborative that has been addressing – and I think you're going to be really excited about this – not just the food insecurity of the student, but really – the food insecurity of the student and their home, everybody in that home. And what would, be, what would educational outcomes in attendance and behavior and academic performance, specifically third grade reading level by third grade, what would that look like if the student and everyone in their home were food secure? Jerry? Yeah, so I, you know, to to just give the 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 little saying we have for this, you can't have a food secure child in a food insecure household. You can't. Right. And so, but a lot of the legislation around feeding and children, especially through school, is aimed not just at feeding the child, but at making sure those dang parents don't get any of it. <laughs> so you look at the summer food service program and some of the other programs that really do help the children, but really make 
huge obstacles to help families. And we really believe from our relationships with these families that you can trust parents to feed their kids if they have the food. That yeah, there's very feed their children before they'll feed themselves. Exactly right. 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 And so, so when you assume that in order to feed a child, you have to take on not just the cost of the food, but the cost of food preparation and the cost of building kitchens and the cost of having all the space you need, you, you add a lot of cost when really, if you just trusted parents more, you could, you could do more with the same amount of money. Now, the pro, uh, best food forward isn't about money, but it's about looking at the system we've developed since the 1960s and the legislation that has been part of that development and say, you know, we think we could get better outcomes, not just in health and nutrition, which food directly impacts, but also in some of these things that education is trying to do as well in terms of making sure students have, you know, the right attitude and the right energy and the right facility to learn the things they need to learn. So it's a pretty exciting, it's got a 10-year threshold, this Best Food Forward effort that we're doing with the Warren Consolidated Schools and the Michigan Department of Ed and about 15 literally other community partners to try to look at, can we think differently about the way these programs work and help families so that we can do not just better, but more and better? Right. That. That, to me, is the key because, you know, even as we move out of um, high school into community colleges, we have several community colleges, members of ours in MEA, who have food banks at their community colleges. And these students are bringing food from those food banks that's student-run and student-organized to their families. Right. You know, they're they're thinking about their entire family. and They're not just thinking about them. And we we know statistically that we have a significant number of our students in community and four year universities who are food insecure. Yeah. And um, it's not just our babies. It's our, our older babies, too. And what they're doing in these food banks is ensuring their entire families are fed. So we do need to look at it as a holistic problem. This is not just a one-size-fits-all for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I knew you two were going to really hit it off. <laughs> <laughs> so she's Paula Herbart. She's our guest. She's the president for MEA. She's a part of the leadership for Launch Michigan. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're coming back for one more segment with Paula. You come back and be with us. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back here on Food First, Michigan. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight with our guest, Paula Herbart. She is the president for the Michigan Education Association and one of the founding leaders for Launch Michigan. And Paula, could you just tell us... um, What's the core objective and value for for Launch Michigan? And also, I'm just going to congratulate you right off the bat because it really seems that you guys have pulled together from cross sectors uh, uh, and uh, just some of the Michigan's best and brightest influencers from business and education and other um, you know government sources. And so, I want to say congratulations first. Thank you for your leadership and tell us how it happens and what you're trying to do. 
Sure. Well, I was uh, the idea started um, with business leaders for Michigan, small businesses of Michigan and uh, the education community, myself, the Michigan Education Association and AFT Michigan, David Acker. And we talked about we need to get all of these people into a room. We've all tried individually to push an education agenda that seems to help improve our students and improve our outcomes for our children as they move forward into a very diverse economy in uh, the 2000s. And so one of the things we decided to do is come together, philanthropic, um, business leaders, chambers of commerce, uh, labor, education um, experts, um, not only the Department of Education, um, our state superintendent, Dr. Michael Rice, sits on the steering committee, but the executive director of the Michigan Association of School Administrators and the um, Michigan Association of School Boards. All of these people weigh in, plus PTOs and PTA members. So we're getting families involved, too, in part of these um, initiatives. And we said long-term strategies. What will we do as Lunch Michigan to make sure that education policy, we, we've identified the problems in lots of different ways. The School Finance Collaborative identified financial issues that are plaguing our schools. Um, Dr. Um, David Arnson out of MSU put together a report on school funding within the state of Michigan. We're the slowest um, growth in funding for public schools in uh, 25 years. We are number uh, 50. We are dead last in increased funding in the country in the last 25 years um, out of David Arnson's report. And then we've also got the report that the Business Leaders for Michigan did on our students' achievement. We said, we have these reports. How did other states do it to turn around their states to be a successful state where our students are achieving at high levels? Uh, Massachusetts, as our number one example, in Tennessee, they got together a collaborative, diverse group of individuals and said, now that we've identified the problem, we have to work to solve these issues, bring forth policies that make sense, that our legislatures can pass and they, and listen to our public school educators first and foremost. We did a survey of almost 17,000 teachers and paraeducators and administrators in the state of Michigan, and overwhelmingly they gave us ideas about what they believe could turn the needle and make our public schools and our public charters be as successful as possible for our students. And so we're listening to that feedback, plus research-based ideas and coming forth. And so our first um, initiative is that third-grade literacy, early K, pre-K, K, 1, 2, and 3 literacy, and how do we tackle the problem of our students not being able to read at grade level in third grade. So, Paula, those are awesome goals and great research. And I know I've heard several of the speakers from Launch Michigan, and I've been very impressed from all these different perspectives. I think the, the one of the hardest things for people to understand is how these educational systems are accountable to these goals. So can you talk a little bit about if, let's assume we get all the money that you want in your proposal, how do we make sure that that money is accomplishing the results that you're talking about? 
Well, first, I'd like to say that they're inexplicably relatable, right? You can't talk about accountability without talking about the financial support, but you cannot continue to receive overwhelmingly um, adequate financial support and not be accountable to that. Hmm. We have to show that we have progress in that. And so what we say is, given a host of strategies that you might have, we're going to let the school system, when we um, as a state develop the financial um, security that a student needs to in order to succeed and develop that formula, we'll say to the school, you have to send in a report telling us how you're going to use that, how you're going to measure that that has been successful. And then there will be checkpoints. Hmm. And if six and eight months down the line, you're not seeing the outcomes you hope to see, we're not going to let you continue to do things that aren't working. We're going to ask you to say, adjust. What possibly else could you do in support of that with the money, use the money in a different way to get the outcomes you're hoping for? And then you might have a more limited amount of choices depending on the rate of success that you have in terms of your ability to be the determinant of how to use that money. Paula, I think that's so refreshing what you're talking about there because in regard to accountability. So the accountability really runs both ways. You, you can't not give us the funding and expect these kind of results. But if you do give us the funding, you can expect these kind of results. And so what I like what I'm hearing from you is something that Jerry and I and our entire network of food banks across the state believe in, and that is we're not going to defend what doesn't work. And, you know, exactly. really, you know, really and truly, we want a room full of uh, problem solvers, not just problem spotters. Right. We got a lot of those. So here's exactly <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. So, you know, we want to define the problem. We want to define reality. But then we want to spend, you know, 85 percent of our time. You, you paid the price in preparation and understanding the problem through research and through surveys and getting these host of opinion from everybody's perspective that's vested in education, including business, including families, including educators. And now we're going to spend about 85 percent of our time on developing the solution not just studying the problem again. I love that. Thank you. Right. So accountability will be infused into all of the funding recommendations by having district define their needs, describe research-based strategies that they're going to use, and then the goals and the outcomes that they're working toward. That, to me, and it's developed in a local accountability district plan, right? Something that we talk about all the time, mm -hmm. particularly in education, Local districts know their students better than anyone. Let them determine what they think will work best, but then hold them accountable to ensure that that actually happens. Yeah, we talk about the uh, client spectrum of engagement in our work. And what that's about is involving the people who receive the services as much as you possibly can. You can't do everything with everyone all the time. That's impossible. But at least you can be mindful of the people who are most directly impacted having a say in what's actually working for them. And so the That's idea right. that you drive the decisions down as far as you can to the to the 
to you know the school district and mm-hmm. then the schools and then the 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 families and the students within those schools to really understand what's actually working then it drives back up of course but i mean i i applaud the idea that um well what you started out saying was not everybody needs the same things mm-hmm. right and so you right. start with the idea that well how do you know what people need well, you have to engage people at the local level. Got to walk to know with that. them, right? That's exactly right. Every step of the way. That's exactly right. And so, what we're doing is looking at to develop specific statutory language to implement an equity funding model in the 2020 legislative cycle. We intend to get underway with our recommendations as quickly as possible putting the full support of this entire steering committee, this very diverse community, behind our suggested policies when we go to lawmakers. And then we will continue to devise specific strategies for building upon these successes and supporting our students over the long term. We want our energies to be unflagging. We know our coalition is solid. I mean, we've been with this, as you know, Phil, Mm -hmm. since June of 2018. We have stayed true to our goals and mission. We have had tough, tough conversations about tough, tough issues. And we hope as we move forward and grow that the sustainability of Launch Michigan will help to impact the security of the funding for public education because it will supersede term limits. It will supersede Mm -hmm. um, this governor to the next governor to the next legislator. We believe that Launch Michigan has the ability to do that because of the wide coalition of partnerships. From your lips to God's ears is what I say, Paula. Well, thank you so much. I'm hopeful myself. (laughs) Well, I would say as we close this uh, segment with you and appreciate you so much for your leadership, um, that our network, the Food Bank Council of Michigan, our seven Feeding America food banks here in the state that serve all 83 counties of Michigan, we're here. We want to add value to launch Michigan. And where you see the challenges of... um, food insecurity affecting students and their educational outcomes. We want to come alongside of you guys, and we appreciate your your uh, leadership and how this coalition is going about this work. So we say Godspeed to you all. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. We will certainly keep that in mind, you know, as we start to tackle other issues in Launch Michigan, any way in which either one of your organizations can help and aid us, we will certainly call upon you, Phil and Jerry. Thank you for your time this morning. She's Paula Herbart. She's been our guest. She's the president of MEA. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. You come back and be with us, too. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. Paula Herbart, the president of MEA, and uh, I, I thought has some pretty great perspective on some of the things that we're talking about in regard to educational system in Michigan, 
students, their families, and as you and I, our passion and mission, food security. You know, one of the things I want to touch back on is the idea that people need different things in different schools. You know, I grew up in the UP. And the Upper Peninsula, um, the way social services work up there is substantially different because there's many fewer people in one specific place. So, so when I think about what kids in those schools, which are much smaller, and communities that have generally less public spaces, schools become a different kind of opportunity for a rural community. And if you can do food programs in schools in a different way up there because, you know, it's so much harder to get around. I think there's a huge opportunity to think about what that could look like that's different. But I think what Paula was saying is if you're going to imagine schools having a role that would be really appropriate for a rural school, but not necessarily need the same kind of thing in a in an urban setting, you can start to get a flavor for why different students in different schools need different things. Mm-hmm. It's not just about money. It's about what access students have to the resources that their community has to offer. And so, you know, she talked about... Um, counseling and and some things that that might be needed for students that are having a particular difficulty Different learning that boxes. Way. that's right. right but but i mean even on a very basic what does my county and community have available to me as a student that might be struggling with anything yeah you have vastly different challenges in different schools right so i think what you know the conversation really re-emphasizes to me is that through the course of of our social development evolution here in the western world there are two anchor institutions in our communities that have absorbed a lot of uh, the needs that people have and that's healthcare, and that's the educational system or your local school yeah and, and so I think that they are forced to evolve to begin to meet some of those needs. And there's been some resistance to that in some areas because I don't think anybody feels equipped. It's, I don't think it's because they don't care. I think it's because they don't feel equipped to take on some of the massive community needs like food insecurity for everyone who's in need. That's not the purpose and mission and role of healthcare or the educational system, your local school. But yet the need persists. And, and so, it prevents those systems from getting the outcomes they want and need. And that's why this idea of how Launch Michigan is structured itself in such a collaborative way with a willingness to have hard and difficult conversations in order to reach some type of consensus that we can address the needs of the people that, in order to get the outcomes that we need and want. And I think it's true of both those anchor institutions. So I think it's incumbent upon us, Jerry, to grow and evolve and adapt our model about how do we come alongside of both healthcare and education in order to help get the outcomes we need the community needs the state needs the country needs but most of all 
what the families we serve need. Well, and it relates to one of the primary things we know we have to do if we're going to solve food insecurity, and that's bring people to the table who win when the problem is solved. And to, I mean, if we really want to launch Michigan, we know we can't do it without having food secure households, especially households with school-aged children. We know it can't be done. So so it was so exciting to hear Paula feedback to us. You know what? We are going to be part of what you're trying to do because I can see that it has an impact on what we're trying to do. And that kind of synergy and energy is what we talk about when we talk about the movement, right? Yep. And even changing from Food for Thought to Food First Michigan, part of that was to acknowledge that we're going... F- into needing a movement. Yeah. And Food First is the movement, and it was exciting to talk to Paula today about Food First and how it affects what they're trying to do at Launch Michigan. Well, I think it's time for a little food for thought. You've heard it here before. Here it is again. If they aren't well fed, they won't be well read. It is that straightforward. It is an axiom that is true, and it is true all the time. Whether in the third grade or in their third year of college, students cannot learn if they're missing meals. Paula Herbart understands this, just like President Fritz Erickson from Northern Michigan University, who drew our attention to food insecurity at the college level, understands it. So let's fix it. Let's do so by putting food first, not second, and God forbid, not third. Nothing good happens until a parent can solve hunger for themselves and for their kids. Let's make that possible. Since that is absolutely true, it stands to reason that it really is food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan. Presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state.